What's up, y'all a little faith? And welcome to episode number nine of the Fagnostic Podcast. Today, I have one of the most pivotal figures in my own religious journey, Reverend Denise Barnes. I first met the newly ordained Reverend during her associate pastorship at Hollywood United Methodist Church here in Los Angeles. She opened my eyes to progressive Christianity. There's no such thing as that. Reverend Denise hails from the UK originally. God save the Queen. Leaving there in 2003 and teaching English as a second language in various countries across the globe. She arrived in the USA in 2004 and has worked as a travel consultant and tour guide for adults with developmental disabilities and as an in-home hospice caregiver for Alzheimer's patients and their families. Prior to leaving England, Reverend Denise was teaching computer skills to young people with severe epilepsy. She graduated with a master's in divinity from Claremont School of Theology in May of 2018 and is currently studying for her D-Men, where her thesis is based on a proposal for a new organizational structure for the UMC based on Celtic Christianity models. Reverend Denise was commissioned as a provisional elder in June of 2018 and ordained in full connection in June of 2020. She was appointed to Hollywood UMC as associate pastor effective July 1st, 2018. June 2019, Denise was appointed quarter time to the CalPAC annual conference as LGBTQIA advocacy coordinator. Reverend Denise was appointed as senior pastor to Crescenta Valley UMC effective July 1st of 2021. She's also appointed as associate director of justice and Passion Ministries to the California Pacific Annual Conference. She married Deborah Levinson on August 1st, 2020, and when not working, can be found with her dogs, Sheldon, Jiminy, and Mozzie at the beach or in the park. Join me as I welcome the Reverend Denise Barnes. The Reverend Denise Barnes. I am so you might be, don't tell my other guests this, but you might be one of the ones I'm most excited about because you <laughs> are truly one of the reasons that this podcast is even in existence, um, which I, that may be a curse. I don't know. I don't want to put that on you. Um, and also, I just realized that I called you the reverend. I don't know why I feel like you deserve to have the the article before your title, the reverend, the great reverend, <laughs> Denise Barnes. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to be here with you, Matt. Um, yeah, we've been on a journey together and I'm thrilled that you're doing this and that we're being able to reach out to people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I ask two questions to start, to start off every episode. The first is, are you a believer? Right. Um, yes, I am a believer. Absolutely, I am a believer. But I think the difference is, um, I'm not a believer in the God that I was taught growing up. I'm a believer in a very different kind of God, a God that loves creation and um, every single part of that and sees everybody as beloved and um, encourages us, lures us towards always being the best possible version of ourselves rather than the God I grew up with, which was this judgmental, all-powerful, almighty God that had everything laid out. And, you know, there was little point in us doing anything because God had it all in a plan already. Yeah, no, you're right. And many of us grew up with that God. And second question is, can you identify your pronouns for us? Sure. I use um, she, her, hers. Awesome. Awesome. So let's just hit the road running. Let's take it back to that God that you grew up with. Now, most of my listeners can tell that uh, you and I do not share an accent. Um, <laughs> so I, d I don't assume that you're from Southern California or, or Alabama. So where, where are you from exactly? Right. So I grew up in England. Um, I lived there with my family until I was about 32, 33. And then I left and started traveling and started a whole new journey. 
Wow. So, well, um, we'll get into that journey a little more uh, deeply here shortly. Um, but you and I also, anytime, anytime I meet someone with your accent, I always jump to Nando's. And, you, and I've talked to you about this a little bit before, but um, I have an obsession an obsession with peri-peri chicken. And I have a, an entire shelf in my refrigerator stocked full of every variety of Nando sauce that I order from overseas. I mean, I'm obsessed, I cook with it all the time. Um, <laughs> I'm actually making it tonight for a couple of friends that are coming over. So um, aside from the, uh, you know, the, the not so deep concept of religion, what are your thoughts on Nando's peri-peri chicken? Um, can I admit I've never had it? Denise! <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, we'll catch it. <laughs> no, it's so, I, I, that's perfectly acceptable. The next time you go home, you have to go and you have to think about me and I'll feel it in my soul and my gut. You got it. You got it. Thanks. If I ever can get back there, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so with this guy that you grew up with, you described him as, as, you know, having it all planned out and us just having, being told that we have to be in a place of constant reverence, of obedience, of, of fear. What, what did not, did you grow up in the Church of England? Yeah, so it was an interesting upbringing, really, because both of my parents were um, self-professed atheists. Really? So, yeah, we didn't go to church. It wasn't part of our lives. But we grew up in a country that, um, where church and state are not separate. So the church is everywhere. Yeah. Um, I went to schools that were run by the church. So there were Church of England schools. Um, every school, whether they were a church school or not, had assemblies, um, daily assemblies where you would gather and there would be religious education and we would sing hymns. And so it very much shaped and molded our lives. Um, I think religious education was compulsory when I was a child, at least until you were 14 years old. So, um, wow. Yeah. Do yeah. you feel like as a result that people who grew up, grow up in England, the association religious is just, is more of like a, not a heritage, but it's just, it's, it's not something of a, of a passionate experience because it's just so forced upon you, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a very different view there. Um, you know, the church is dying there the same as it's dying here, um, or organized religion, I would say, but I think it runs through people's lives in a different way. There sure. It's, it's a, you're surrounded by it. I mean, the, the local pub where I used to live, the, the pub, the church is like, five, six hundred years old, but the pub is older. <laughs> the pub for the people that were building the church. Yeah. That's, right? I mean, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I, you know, I could join the architectural world if there, if there was a pub involved. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's a big attraction. <laughs> when I was, when I was working overseas as a cruise ship singer, I remember uh, in Ireland, we would go, I think it's called McDade's and it's the oldest bar in all of Dublin. And when you walk in, you feel like it is the oldest bar in all of Dublin because you're just hoping that the walls don't come crashing in around you. Right. Um, <laughs> and you have to duck everywhere you go because yes. they're all so much shorter then. Oh, I remember yeah. going up to the bathroom, which was on the third floor, and the staircase gets smaller and tighter. And then you walk through this like hobbit door to get into the loo. And oh, it's wow. like, how do people, it was anyway, um, that's, that's a <laughs> tangent that I won't come back from. Um, <laughs> so obviously you are in a, um, in a, in a Protestant denomination now as, as a religious leader. 
what did you go through a period after that age of 14 where it is compulsory to where you said mm, this is not resonating with me or did you always have an inclination to know god on a deeper level so i always had that inclination regardless. even coming from parents who did not have yeah. that inclination yeah it was always there and in fact when i was about 12 or 13 a friend of mine was singing in a local methodist church choir and um she said to me why don't you come and sing there with me so i did um, and this was a really progressive choir for its time. There was like 30 kids. They had a, a drum kit and they had a, a, a bass guitar. It was run by a, an Australian opera singer who had, had come to England to live. And um, we would go out and we would sing modern songs um, or more modern songs, but with slightly altered lyrics. We would sing the Lord's Prayer to the tune of Cavatina. We would sing Top of the World and, you know, just all these amazing songs. And we would go to visit other churches and sing and perform there. And I became, that was so forming for me because all of a sudden I was in a place where my questions could be answered, whereas with people who thought like me rather than at home. And um, it really had a marked difference on my life. Definitely. Well, being, was that the 90s? Oh, bless you. No, the 80s. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, so, but at that time, I imagine the Methodist church was not as progressive leaning as it is now. Um, and and not to out you before you have a chance to, for my guess, but but you were a right. lesbian and you're married to a woman um, and right. freshly uh, married to a woman, I might add. <laughs> right. um, you're not even upon your year anniversary yet, are you? Nope, next week. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, happy early anniversary. Yay. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But how, what, I mean, at that point in your life, did you, did you uh, describe yourself as a lesbian or did you know you had thoughts about females? No, not at that point. I knew I had thoughts about females, but I wasn't ready to put a name on it. And don't forget, it's that long ago that I didn't have any role models. I didn't yeah. have anybody who looked like me, who I could speak to or answer any questions. I went to an all girls school and there was much shock and horror when girls were caught holding hands and, and stuff like that. So it was very much a taboo subject. Right. So time no I didn't later on for sure was there sure. a disconnect in in your faith pursuit and then also owning your sexual identity late yeah as, as so as that developed I was probably a late bloomer you know um or bloomer but late to admit yeah who God had created me to be um but I got involved every place I lived I would get involved with the local church and um one of the last places I lived at, they didn't have a Sunday school until I was there. And I started up a Sunday school and I would help the pastor out or the vicar as he was then called. Um, his wife passed away and I ended up doing the bulletins and the newsletter and you know, being really heavily involved. And yet all the time then I knew that although there was a huge call on me to be of service and to, to follow that life, that the church wouldn't welcome me. And so in my head, it was, well, I've got this wrong. This is not God talking to me. This is just talking mm. to myself because the church says no. So how can it possibly be? Wow. So was there a time, I mean, so you, you kind of swallowed that for a bit then. Instead of dealing with yourself, you, you chose to pursue what you thought God was at the time versus Right. Well, also, right, the God that I knew was the God that was taught, which was vengeful wrathful God who was mm -hmm. in the world and every time we sinned God got madder at us um God had male pronouns you know mm -hmm. God does very much have male pronouns but um and that wasn't something I could connect to either right as right. A, a um 
burgeoning lesbian, there was no way that a male god and I would have any kind of relationship when I also didn't have a good relationship with my stepfather. So, right. you know, that was, I didn't have a strong male figure. And so, um, yeah, it just, it wasn't for me. And so I was like, well, what is all this about then, you know? And and I, sh- I pushed it to one side as I pushed my sexuality to one side also. I got on with doing what was expected of me, having a good career, being there for my family um, and just, um, you know, dating as many men as I could so that I could not be perceived by anybody as being gay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a similar story to a lot of people that are coming out to themselves in those early days. And one of the the biggest grievances I have with the church is, like you just said, the assignment of a masculine pronoun to Mm -hmm. the idea of God. And even like you know, and it's not talked about, but I just learned that the Hebrew for the Holy Spirit is in the the feminine. And so there's even like a a supplemental aspect to like, if we're going to, to see a, 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 I mean, I think God transcends gender anyway, but if we're going to honor a gender to what we call God, there's even in that we have to honor what the, the Christians call the Holy Spirit as well, which is in the feminine. So we can appreciate this combined unit that is I mean, su- supersedes gender by by conquering both. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It supersedes gender. It supersedes humanity because yeah. of both. Right. So you know, it's so it's something so big we cannot even possibly begin to imagine what it is. Yep. You yep. know. Um. And so, therefore, how can we assign a gender? You yeah. know, we just can't. So. Well, I'll tell yeah. you why. Uh, because we, in order to, for many denominations to survive, they have to. Um, so they have to have misogyny and they have to have, right. uh, you know, anti-feminist stances and they have to be, I mean, exactly. yeah. And that's why the pictures of God are always white too, but that's a whole right. other episode. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> what was it like for your atheist parents to have this like spiritually inquisitive child where they like, it's like the opposite of like the Christian parents when the kid goes awry, you know, to college and starts drinking and stuff. And with your parents, it was like, oh God, she's becoming a Christian. <laughs> right, yeah, and, and it wasn't so much that my grandmother, um, my father, my stepfather's side was, um, was a Christian and she came to church with me at the Methodist church a couple of times. And my stepfather checked in with her and he said to her, is it all right? You know, and she said, yeah, you know, there's Methodist. It's a bit fire and brimstone, but it's not too bad. You know, I got the seal of approval. But if my grades were bad or, you know, I did something wrong, the punishment was I wasn't allowed to go to church. Mm -hmm. That's hilarious. I know, right? (laughs) Like, you're grounded. I'm taking your Bible away. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Um, Seriously. So there wasn't many conversations at home about about any of it really. Do you know why they were atheists? Because I find that most people who uh, subs- who ascribe to be atheists tend to either be mad at God for the state of the world or be mad at the people who claim to know God because of how they treat the world. It wasn't about how they treat the, the uh, other people, definitely wasn't about that. My father's very conservative, conservative right-wing. Um, right. Uh, leaning definitely, I think. So I really don't know with him. It's not a conversation we ever had. Um, my mother, I think for her, she had some good experiences with church-led youth groups when she was younger, and she has very fond memories of them. Um, and in later life, when I did answer my call, she was proud of me. Um, and we never really went any deeper than that. And now she has dementia, so we can't. But um, I know that there's that element of pride in me that she had. And, and I cling on to that because it means a lot to me. But yeah. I think for my mom... 
it was a God that was unrelatable to her and her circumstances. You know, she'd had two husbands and three kids by the time she was 21. Right. Um, and they grew up pretty poor. Um, we were pretty poor when we when I was very young. And I just don't think she'd ever seen a God that she could relate to. Well, how interesting, because you play a part of that same narrative with me. I mean, that's uh, before we get into that. I, I do, do you feel like part of your clergy pursuit has also been to heal the spiritual trauma of your parents? Yes, definitely. Wow. Definitely. So I couldn't have answered the call eventually. It, there was, so I went on a journey. I, I quit my job. I sold, I didn't sell my, rented my house out. And I went to teach English as a second language in Asia. And um, so I was in Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, Australia. And it was just before I started, I traveled some and I was on the island of Penang. It was a pretty dark moment because there's nothing like traveling by yourself in a foreign country where you don't know the language, you don't know anybody, you don't know the food to do mm -hmm. some really deep soul searching. And I knew I was at that point and I had come to the point where I either give all this up and go home and just settle into that role or I go on on this journey of finding God, the God that I relate to mm -hmm. um, and accepting who God created me to be. And, and I was so close, so close, but so desperate to hang on to what I knew because it was safer um, and I went swimming. I went down to the bar at the beach, left my stuff with the guys on the bar who I'd got to know and, and went for a swim. And I'm swimming around in the ocean. And all of a sudden, the guys are yelling at me and pointing. And I turn around and look. And this dolphin comes up out of the water and just sits there looking at me, literally face to face. You know, I mean, like, you wow. can't pay for that experience. It was a wild dolphin. And it just stood there and looked at me. And, you know, the first tattoo I ever got was a dolphin. They've always been an animal I connect with. If I go to the beach, the whole time I'm there, I'm looking for dolphins, looking for dolphins. Yeah. You know? Just that animal to me. And there was this dolphin, not just swimming by, but looking at me. Um, and it stayed there for a little bit. And I didn't move. I didn't touch it or, or anything. And then it swam away. And that was my pivotal moment. That was my God moment, right? That was my, my God saying, you are on the right path. Don't give up and go back because, you know, you don't get many dolphins in the coast of England. Right. <laughs> so that was my sign. And that was when I thought, OK, all right, this is a hard journey and it's difficult, but I'm on the right track. Um, it's interesting that you that your God moment came in a place of of basically silence. I mean, you didn't know the language, you didn't know the culture, you would, you didn't have those voices around you to perpetuate, you know, what you thought you believed. And it was right. in that silence and the, in the lack of where you, where you learned about the excess of that you found through what you're calling God. Yeah. You know, I'd never thought of it like that, but yeah, no influence from anybody else, just me and God literally. And that was probably the only time in my life I'd ever been in that space. I think that's that's so incredible. And I think a lot of the reason that you, know, you look at evangelicals, you know, in, in the US, I mean, I, they're branching out, but, you know, I, I always wonder a lot of what they're purporting and pushing on people, I think is just to perpetuate their own beliefs and their own insecurity about their beliefs. And that's why they cling to the Great Commission so much. And it's, it's more about them than it is the people they're trying to witness to. Right. 
Right, exactly that. Um, so when we met, it was on, uh, and I don't even know if we met that day actually, um, other than me just being in the in the congregation. But uh, I was living with uh, a friend of mine who actually was on this ep- this show as well in episode two, Del Shores, um, and he is a, uh, I mean, he is an atheist, um, leaning agnostic. Um, but on that Easter Sunday, I just thought, and I also have always been agnostic, I feel like for a few years. And by agnostic, I just mean searching for answers to come back, you know, like you just said, the God that I was taught growing up, because I don't feel like that God does anything for anybody's soul. Um, but anyway, um, and I walked down, um, to the church in Hollywood, Hollywood United Methodist Church. And um, for those of you that don't know the area, this church is, you cannot miss it. It is in the center of Hollywood. It's a stunning piece of architecture. And on top of the giant bell tower that overlooks all of the Walk of Fame is a giant AIDS red ribbon. Um, And Hollywood United Methodist Church was one of the first congregations in the country to welcome those living with AIDS, even before they even knew how it was, tra- I mean, they were really taking a risk of faith by welcoming this unloved community, this unclean right. community. Um, and I don't mean unclean as, I mean, that's a t- we, it's not the right wordage, but at that time they were looked at as diseased. And, um, right. and so that was one of the first congregations to welcome them. And there's to this day, there's a plaque in the vestibule that has the first members that passed of the virus. Um, and I get emotional anytime I see that plaque because it just speaks to the God that I, I hope that they were able to reconnect with um, if they chose to reconnect with the God. Um, but this, so this church is, is a, a loud and sometimes probably a nuisance voice to the UMC as a whole <laughs> because right. of their, their stance on, on so many social issues and rightfully so. And so anyway, I walked down there on Easter Sunday and just thinking traditional looking church, probably, you know, probably a, a little progressive with their AIDS ribbon or whatever, but like, let's just go and just enjoy a good old fashioned Easter service. Right. And it was anything but. I was there and first of all, there's a woman pastor, um, which is, you know, not what us Southern Baptists allow or grew up (laughs) with. So that was, you know, already a treat. Um, Turned out that she was actually from 20 minutes from my hometown and we root for rivaling uh, football teams. Um, But, um, and then you came up with your, whatever color hair you had at the time, I think it was purple. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is, inter- this is getting interesting. Um, and then I, I realized somewhere along the service that you were gay. And I thought, oh, did they know that they hired a lesbian minister? <laughs> um, so should I report them? And then at, there was also a trans uh, pastoral intern that came and did the readings. And I thought, where in the hell have I come into? Um, And I couldn't tell you anything about the service other than just being blown away by the amount of diversity just in the pastoral staff alone. Um, And so that really got my, because that was about the the crux of my like spiritual crisis, I feel like of deciding like, do I want to wake up every day and fear going to hell? Or do I want to just live my life with joy and happy happiness and and hope to have a spiritual connection to the divine whatever way I can. Um, and that's honestly where my short film Cognitive came from was that service. And you were a big part of representing the voice that I never heard growing up, but so desperately needed to hear growing up. And so my goal with creating Cognitive was to to encourage others that we have to, to challenge the rhetoric that's being spewed in a religious setting um, because we have to save lives. I mean, these kids are, they're growing up to be addicts. They're growing up to be, um, you know, to be suicidal. So right, if they're um, growing up at all, exactly. If, yes, exactly. Um, 
And so I hope that you know what a voice you have. I mean, not just for me, but like for so many others, how much healing you provide people who grew up hearing the same kind of God that you did. Good, because we have to keep doing it because it's still sending out that message that we are not as good as, we are not equal to, we are the other. Yep. The church and society stops doing that. We need that. I needed it so desperately and I didn't have it. And Mm -hmm. the more I've lived into my call, the more I've seen exactly that's where God wanted me to be, to accept who I was, to love myself as God created me to be, and then to show others that um, God loves them just as much. God isn't ashamed of them. They haven't done anything wrong. They are worthy. um, And and they too can live their fullest life with God, walking with God and not alone. Absolutely. Um, and that's where if I'm to return to a, a faith system where I see a divine, I'm seeing it in the space between you and I. I'm not seeing that as a as a individual deity, even, you know, in the universe, I'm seeing it in the space between connection and the interaction and the in the love. Um, but part of that struggle is that if, if, if that's where I see God, I'm also seeing the lack of God in that same space because of the people in this world who thrive on negative energy and they thrive on hate. And so where I'm seeing God, I'm also seeing the devil, for lack of a better word. Um, and that's a bit just depressing because I, but I also think that's a personal challenge of me. What am I looking for? Am I open to seeing negativity or am I solely committed to only seeing positive energy in the world and if so then I have a bit more control over how I see the divine Mm. that's interesting of course um we are called to take care of the poor the needy the naked the afraid right that's who and so we have to see them um and I think one of the big problems we have in in society and, and which I feel the church can really start to lead is churches do a lot of compassion work, right? They mm-hmm. make blessing bags, they take them out, they do all of this, but what they don't do is justice work, mm. right? What we are called to do is to change the circumstances of those people who are separated from God for whatever reason. And mostly those people are separated from God because of the systems and powers that be yep. that, that we have created, right? Um, and so they lose hope. They lose. They're, they're thrown out of their homes because they're they're queer, or because they don't fit up to the standards of their parents, or they give up on God because they have been taught that that God will punish them and they're going to go to hell and they're not worthy. All of those things are created by us. They're not created by God. Correct. And so correct. we have to see them. We have to see them so that we can a show them compassion and b work at fixing the systems that are causing the problems that are creating those people's um, problems in the first place. Absolutely, and we're going to get that's going to lead us very beautifully to your new title with the Pacific Conference of the UMC. But um, I just wanted to touch on two because I, I mean, in LA, you know that most people a don't go to church and b have a very negative view of church and one of the things that i um got into shortly after this easter uh, i guess it's uh what, what was what do they call it um paul's damascus moment well, on his road mm-hmm. w- w- whatever that that yeah. story that you were part of my my paul moment by going to the <laughs> service that day but shortly after um i saw how much HUMC did for the community, especially with the unhoused. And so on Tuesday, and it's not been able to be picked up yet since COVID. And, you know, it's, I, I hope it gets back soon because there's such a dire need in the community mm-hmm. right now. Um, but HUMC does so many wonderful things for the unhoused. And there's so many wonderful volunteers that you headed up, um, like Sarah and Andrew and Katrina. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, uh, Leanne and Linda, I mean, just truly selfless souls. And so I, I, I started going to that just to surround myself with those kinds of, of Christians that I thought could redeem my view of Christianity. Um, and I think a lot of them were actually in the same boat of this, of this spiritual crux because, you know, some of the conversations I had with those people were so enlightening and just, just to see how real they are with their relationship or lack thereof with the divine, because they're just humans and there wasn't a show. It was just people wanting to help other people get ahead. And I thought, well, this is Christ-like. That is, that's the message that I don't often see because even and evangelizing in this, in you know, back where I come from, or not, I shouldn't say it's not a regional thing, but like with that sect of evangelism, it's th the need to help other people comes from the need to help yourself, and so there's an ego attached to the service, which I think negates the service. I mean, I, I it, people still benefit from it, but I, I, it, I just, and I should, I, I shouldn't paint with a broad stroke, but like you know, I, there are wonderful people in the Southern Baptist Church, like. Truly, but and there's people that are making waves and change. You know, it's just um, not as 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 heavy as as what's happening in the Methodist Church. But um, you were a big part of the of the movement in the Methodist Church to progress, the United Methodist Church to progress. Um, so recently, or last year, you had a big year. You got married. You became mm -hmm. a U.S. citizen. Um, mm -hmm. You uh, cue the Lee Greenwood song, <laughs> sung by somebody <laughs> else. So, because I don't like the Greenwood. Um, <laughs> And then you also uh, got ordained fully. Ordained. Uh, and then you also uh, had a calling to another congregation in the LA area. So what, where are you now? So I'm um, sole pastor at Crescenta Valley United Methodist Church, which is in Montrose. Um, and that's 50% of my time. And the other 50% of my time, I'm the Associate Director for Justice and Compassion Ministries for the entire California Pacific Annual Conference. And that includes Hawaii, Guam, um, uh, right, right, and then um, the sort of the southern half of California, so kind of Bakerish down to mm -hmm. San. Wow, which how many do you know off the top of your head? How many Methodist congregations are in that region? I don't, I don't know, and I should. Um, I imagine it's in the in the quadruple digits. Um, maybe I would say around six hundred to seven hundred. Wow. Yeah. Are you seeing a decline in open open congregations in terms of like churches that are having to close their doors or just die away? Yeah, I mean, there's been a general decline across the world, let alone just here in our local area um, for many years now. And those churches that were hanging on by a thread, then COVID hit. And so a lot of those churches, I think, will close now because they just, you know, they couldn't survive. Yeah. We yep. just couldn't survive the um, the pandemic and the last lack of income. So. Well, and with the pandemic too, the pandemic, uh, and, and maybe there's a way to kind of tie in your new title with this next topic, but the pandemic kind of uh, halted things within the United Methodist Church because there was a big split that was bound to happen. Um, <laughs> votes were being cast. I mean, I there I forget. I've watched a couple documentaries about the convention, um, mm. about the the national conference, and just. I mean, and it's mostly the non-Southern U.S. Methodist churches versus the Southern Methodist churches and Africa's Methodist churches, um, from what I understand. Is that accurate? Yeah, kind of. I mean, there are, so there are progressive churches across all of those places also, and sure. there are traditional churches in here in California. Yeah. So it's not, you know, just that split, but that's the general kind of split. Right. Uh, in 40 or 50 years ago, 
in our book of discipline, which is our book of rules, um, they added the language that homosexuality was incompatible with Christian teaching. And every year since then, it has been fought and fought and fought that this is not who, who Methodists are, that it's not what the Bible really says, but it has become come to the point where we can no longer stay together, Yeah. Um, which breaks my heart, mm-hmm. which really breaks my heart because we have this wonderful opportunity to show the world how you can be together and think differently. And yeah. we've lost that opportunity. Even the mantra of the UMC, I don't, I don't think it's this anymore, but it used to be open hearts, open doors, open minds, I think. Yeah, which open always, hearts, open minds, open doors. It still is. It is, which is ironic because yeah. that's, I mean, we're, right. what we're fighting about right. is, is, to, is the contingency attached to that. Right, exactly. So it's um, the, what, what it boils down to is that we shouldn't have any queer clergy um, and we shouldn't um, be doing um, queer marriages in our churches. And there was a fear of you even getting fully ordained, before, right? Right. right. Uh, well, yeah, especially because they had a special called conference in February of 2019 to try and figure this out once and for all. And it didn't go the way we thought it was going to go. And the traditional plan prevailed, which um, doubled down on the language, and made it harsher. Um and so was looking for a way to, for us to divide, right? How do we divide and let the progressives go one way and the traditionals go another? And, you know, it's like a big divorce because who gets what? We, we are a global church. We have global assets. We have global agencies that connect us all. Um, and how do you figure out who gets what, you know? Yeah. So that happened in February of 2019. Um and then before we could have another general conference to kind of really ratify everything and sort out who's going to go where and how, the coronavirus hit. So that was cancelled. And then it was going to happen this year, and that was cancelled. Now it's slated to happen next year. I personally, this is just my own view, don't believe that will happen either. Wow. Um we have to get Africa vaccinated. We have to get the Philippines vaccinated, you know, and we've hogged all the vaccine right now. We haven't said one for us and one for you. We've had, we've said all for us. So now we'll start to give you some, you know? So I think at this point, one or 2% of Africa is vaccinated. Yeah. Do, are you seeing an opportunity to perhaps heal the divide in the Methodist church because of this global need that the UMC could actually be a part of to help solve? Well, wouldn't it be great if it could? Yes, yeah. it would. <laughs> wouldn't it be great? Um, I just don't know how deep the divide goes. So I take an interesting stance because I'm, I don't believe we should split. I really believe that we should find a way to figure it out because yeah. that models to the world a way of going forward, right? Yeah. Um, so any opportunity we have to be in communion and community with those people who think differently to us is a great opportunity to practice that. Yep. To show the rest of the world how to do it. Hmm. Um, so I would love it if we could do that, but I I don't I really don't see what how how or what because everybody is just tied up in this. Well, we're going to split next year or maybe the year after. You know, it's going to happen. And in fact, many churches are already going. I mean, there are a number of churches in in America that have already left the denomination altogether, progressive and traditional churches. Are they calling themselves just Methodist Church, or are they calling themselves Independent, or? Um, the one, I think one or two have said Methodist, but you know, I mean, there are different flavors of Methodism that are right. not part of the United Methodist Church. British Methodists are not part of the United Methodist Church. Oh. Yeah, they're not part of that global organization. And then you've got the Wesleyans, uh-huh. the, 
so there are a number of different streams, free Methodists and, and people like that who have broken off over the years. And then, are the there... fight, of course, and let's be very clear about this. The fight is not about LGBT people. We are the scapegoat. Yeah. The fight is about power and control. Correct. That's what it's about. Um, and that's the only reason that I would say, okay, we can go, because to me, that's not what church is about. It's not negotiable. No, right? We're not, the problems that, that the church organized religion has are based because of the power um, structure on which they have all grown, right? <laughs> if, if we have to leave and we can create a different power structure, hey, let's go and do that because I think we can try it. Yeah. Um, and I think we have potential. As I was um, thinking about um, the rich man, you know, who Jesus said, you have to give up everything to, and follow me. And he couldn't do it. And, and I was thinking about that, and it just came to me that Jesus wasn't just talking about giving up your personal goods and your personal wealth. He's talking about giving up your investment in the systems of oppression, right? Let's give those up. Let's give up our buying into all these systems that perpetuate so much harm and inequality for everybody. And let's create some new systems where we share things together. Well, and it's, it reminds me of, of your God moment of letting go. I mean, you didn't have a choice in the matter because you were overseas in a foreign land, but like, keep it quiet. Like it, that, what's the, the verse? I, I used to know all these numbers, but be still and know that I am God. Like that, yeah. that call to meditative uh, right. uh, action with the divine, I think is seen across religions, but specifically for Christianity, that's the verbiage. Yeah. And I love that take on it is, 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 is just for a minute, let go of the system and just think for yourself. Look inside your own heart, your own soul, and listen for that voice of the divine. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what happened to me. You're absolutely right. In that moment, I did. And, and you know, things have just gone from better and better and better to me since I have. I'm much yeah. more I'm more balanced. I have people that I knew in England as a younger person who are reaching out to me saying, I don't know what's happened to you, but you are so at peace. You're so grounded. You're a different mm -hmm. person to, to who you were. And it's true. I feel it. Um, but that transition is so scary for a lot of people that, that create God in this box, because yes. it's like you said, it's a, if they can define what God is, they don't have to ask questions. They don't have to look inside themselves. And even though liberation and freedom and joy might be on the other end, that period of time where you're trying to figure out what you believe, which is in juxtaposition to what you were taught growing up is horrifying to think about. Um, and it's very taxing on your soul to have, I mean, mm. I've lived there for years and granted, like I'm holding on to a little bit because it's also part of my career. And so my income is also based on my own spiritual struggle. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just, I, that's such a, a brilliant take on it. And not uh, about the giving of, of like giving up everything. And it's not just the material items and the, mm. the relationships, it's the, the belief systems. Yeah, it's giving up that, that you're perpetuating the harm, right? You're still being a part of it. I, a few years ago, I heard Diana Butler Bass speak. And if you've never read or heard her, you should. Okay. Um, but I was at this um, talk and she was talking about, um, I'm gonna say it your way, Zacchaeus. Uh -huh. <laughs> and um, Zacchaeus, if there's any Brits listening, it's Zacchaeus. Well, in the South, it's also Zacchaeus. Oh, interesting. Yes. Okay, so I've hit some Americans too. That's Yes. Awesome. But you know, there's also speculation <laughs> that the only remaining bits of the Queen's English lies in the South. That the, yes, the that, yes accent, I've heard that. Absolutely. Uh, so in fact, when I visited there, some of their language is the same. They call um, 
strollers push chairs which we call them push chairs right yeah yeah, I love it. I love it. Do you remember, do you remember that song? Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little mm-hmm. man was he. He right. climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. But she was talking about him. And said what Jesus was telling him when he when he when Jesus said to him, "Get down from there," because he was a tax collector, right? So he was buying into the pyramid system and structure of the Romans. Jesus was saying, "Get down from there." Get down from your place of perpetuating those systems and buying into them and come down with us and be one of us and let's do this differently. He was calling for humility. Right, right. And he's calling him to not participate in those systems of oppression. Get down from where you're at. Uh-huh, this pedestal. Be with us. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so interesting. I've, I mean, right. I, as much as I, I investigate the figurative uh, view of the Bible versus the literal. I've never thought about that being a figurative story either of, you know, even if he wasn't a tree, it could have been Christ seeing the opportunity for a story here. Like, Oh, you're in a tree. Why don't you literally and figuratively come down here? Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's so interesting. Um, so last year when, when, or in 19, when they were trying to double down on, on the harmful and, and lethal rhetoric against the queer community within the uh-huh. Methodist church, uh-huh. what made you keep wanting to pursue uh, being ordained? So, oh, oh, as opposed to saying, okay, you know what? The UCC loves me, the Lutheran church, half of them love me, um, and some independents love me. Let's go there instead. So a lot of things made me carry on. Um, Number one is there are queer babies born in every church, regardless of that church's stance, and those queer babies need to see queer leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Number one, that's, that's a given. Um, and my life has flourished since I stepped into that role. Um, and therefore, I know I'm doing what God requires of me, and I'm answering that call and that lure that God has towards me. So those things, but also I'm a Methodist at heart, mm-hmm. right? Methodists are are people who fight for social justice. John Wesley built the Methodist movement. I mean, not that he was intending to build a movement, but he did based on taking the church to the people that were excluded from the church, right? So the Church of England was this mighty, fancy affair where you went to to be seen, Mm -hmm. um, where you were welcome if you were wealthy and you could give money to the church and perpetuate those systems. But the poor people, that was no God for them because they're talking of a, of a God who was rich and, and, you know, your rewards will keep coming if you keep giving. The poor people couldn't even do that. So they didn't go to church. They weren't welcome. They had nowhere to sit. So John Wesley took the church to them and talked to them about a God that created and loved them just as much as the God of the rich people. That's social justice, right? That's- yeah okay, we're going to take this and give it to these people because they need it just as much. Actually. Well, it's also not just social justice. It's also the sole calling of Christ right. is to love on others. Right, right. Everybody. So you, I mean, because social justice can sound daunting and like it's cool. It's, it's doing an extra step in the process, but it's not, right. it's the step. Social justice right. is the step. Yeah. That's all that's required of us. Right. Well, it's and now you have the title to back it up. So because your title is essentially inserting and increasing social justice and equity in the United Methodist Church now, right? Right, and and beyond, right? We, because here's the thing that, that is guiding me right now. The, the COVID pandemic got us out of the building. Church for too long has been tied to the building. I go to church, 
I worship at that church, right? That's it. That's my religious life. Mm-hmm. Church is, is the world. As, as Wesley said, the world is my parish, right? And COVID got us out of that building. We can worship online now. And we can pick and, sh- and choose where we worship online. More people are doing devotional work and, and, and mindfulness work by themselves since the pandemic because they've had to. Yeah. They haven't been able to go and do their thing on a Sunday morning and walk away again. Plus, you can do church any time of the week right now. Yep. Um, and I, it's, it's well, I think two, uh, there's a couple things. Today I read an article about Facebook is actually, I, and I think Hillsong in Atlanta is the reason behind this, but the Hillsong Church from Australia, they have opened up a new mm-hmm. campus in Atlanta and they and Facebook have been teaming together to create basically a, a platform um, that's like designed from, you know, the Facebook gods uh, to, to assist churches in being a digital presence. Huh. Um, and so, and there being like, I mean, uh, you know, ways to tithe through your Facebook, which is horrifying to me um because i'm so i mean as much as i utilize facebook i'm you know it's i do fear facebook's control um and if they're already having a footprint and us um you know politically speaking and now they're tackling the religious aspect i don't know it just seems a little too close to home um but uh, it, it that is where we are now and i do think that covid obviously was more than just a pandemic that hit the earth it was a need for people to stop to assess, to adopt, to make change, and then to go forward. And I, and I think it's like you just said, it, it's, it's hit church as a whole the same way. Like Mm -hmm. you think that just going here every Sunday and Wednesday and you can check it off your box and you're good with me. No. Why don't you start putting it to action? There's more people suffering today than there were a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. How can, how can you help? How can you show me? Uh, It's like those, there's memes that are going out right now about like, um, how do you say you're from somewhere without saying you're from this place? And, oh, it basically, right. and, and it's, it's kind of reminds me of, they will know you by your actions. They will mm-hmm. know you know me by how you treat the world. Right. Um, and I right. hope that, I mean, you, it's such the way you described <clears throat> it is such a romantic view of what I hope is happening. And I, I hope that it is happening, that people are taking this time to, to, to check themselves spiritually. I mean, I feel like I have, but it was, I feel like it was also very forced upon me because I just, it was, you know, not sleep at night or to, you know, think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I hope that yeah, that's no choice. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly that. And, and I hope it's just not the people. I hope it's the clergy. I hope it's the church leadership yeah. because a lot of it rests on their shoulders. We've always measured a church's success by how many bums on seats there are, right? Mm-hmm. How many people do you have in worship is the measure of how good your church is. Well, that's bullshit. Yep. Right? I love it when clergy cusses on my show. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, right? How good and how effective your church is, is how much engagement you manage to get outside of the walls of the church. Yeah. People do you get who are helping with your homeless ministry, who are going to clean up a beach, who are um, working with that other agency down the road who also do that work? How many other churches are you working with? Are you partnering with so that you can do stuff together so that you have more resources and more everything, you know, and, and that- well, in case in point, I mean, one of the biggest things I think about when I think about you specifically is your interfaith efforts. And I've had uh, Rabbi Denise Ager on the show, as well as Ani Zonneveld. Yes, um, and, and so I've thankfully hit all three major religions now, but you know, the way that you three women, I might add, uh, two of whom are queer work to, to tie the loose ends of the major religions is groundbreaking to me. 
And I, I told Denise Ager too, that I, I believe that if, if church is to be saved in this world, like the idea of church, it's going to be done through the queer voices because the queer voices are the ones that I'm listening to right now, not just because I'm queer, but because they seem to have a deeper connection to the divine because of the, the, the spiritual trauma they have had with themselves as coming out. They, in order to get to know themselves deeper, they've had to get to know God deeper. So yeah. y'all's voices, I know Ani is not, is not gay, but she's such an ally, but y'all's voices are the ones that are healing religion to me and I know countless others. Um, that's encouraging to know. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Rabbi Denise and Devani. Um, so um, I'm really glad you've had them both on here and, and I follow them both um, and hugely. I'm, so I'm studying for my, um, my um, DMIM, which is my doctorate at um, Claremont School of Theology right now. And I'm writing my thesis on a new model of church, hopefully for the UMC, but we'll see, based on Celtic Christianity, right? Because um, the church has excluded so many people for so long. And, you know, people talk about the double pandemics last year. I don't believe racism is a pandemic. I believe it's ingrained in society. We just really gave voice to something because we were at home and could have time to listen. Yeah. But those people have been excluded and harmed. And those voices are making a difference too right now in very powerful ways. But in talking to all these people and taking some of these classes, I'm hearing people and, and so many, the Pacific Islanders, um, who are going back to the stories of their heritage, right? The first people that were in America, their stories of, of how they live with the divine and the earth, they're part of who they are and part of their souls. So I looked at myself and I'm like, what is my roots, right? What are my stories? Celtic Christianity is where I go back to, right? You know, um, with my very Anglo um, skin and, and um, accent and everything, that's where I'm from. So I looked at how Celtic Christianity grew and it really was a merge between the indigenous pagan religions of England, um, which came from, you know, all the people that in invaded England. And when the Romans brought Christianity to England, it was how they merged those two and how they organized themselves. And they had very similar to, um, British Methodist circuits, they would have these churches and one's church mission would be the homeless, one would be the poor, one would be education, one would be care, and the pastors would rotate among those four churches. But if you had a homelessness, you would go to that church and help out with their mission work, even if you liked the preacher that was at the other church, so you'd go there for your worship. They would do everything together. They would pull their resources, pull their clergy, pull their mission work so that everything was shared among everybody mm. um, in a circular fashion, right? So there's no one in charge. You're just all working together. Now, I think these days we'd have to have someone in charge. How we do that, I'm still working on, but I'm thinking an elected person for a period of time from laity, probably not even clergy. Right. No bishops, no nothing, no structure just clergy that are called to do whatever they're called to do. And then you can really hone in on the gifts of the clergy, right? So one might be a really good preacher. One might be really good at pastoral care. You don't have to be good at all of them because you use the clergy for what their call is. Um, and it's a much flattened structure that reaches far more people. And I think that the young people of today will be interested in something like that. Yeah, I agree. Because there's also a sense of activism to what you're talking about. It's you're not choosing to go to a church because of someone's message. You're choosing to go to a community where you can be of service. 
right because they're doing whatever it is that you're passionate about so, yeah you know and i was at um a kids camp this week a high school camp i'm I, so sorry <laughs> yeah right i only <laughs> went for the day it was all right i survived it they the kids were awesome i had a great time i shouldn't call them kids i'm sorry um but I was telling them about the work of justice and compassion ministries and all the different task force. You know, we've got immigration, we've got kids at the border, we've got um, Holy Land task force. Um, and when I said, and we're going to start up this eco justice, there was claps and cheers. Right. So there were some kids that already found a connection. So if we had a group of churches that were all doing those different ministries and we weren't so, well, that's my member. I'm having mm -hmm. that one. You know, I'm counting that. If we didn't operate on that system, it wouldn't matter. We'd be like, okay, you know, between us, we've got 2,000 people instead of individually only having 100 each. Yeah. And those people are going out and making a difference. And, and we've got many more people who can change, make a change to justice, right? Yeah. To the rules, rules and regulations that, that serve our land right now. And we've, it's, what I think you're saying also is that we've got to get away from relying on the results of quantifying what we do and instead just focus on the quality of, of right. the world that we're leaving behind. And I think that's that church model you're talking about. Sign me up. Uh, I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be good. there. Um, <laughs> even in my, in my prolonged agnosticism, I'll be there front row, <laughs> hymnal open. <laughs> Love it. Um, wow. Uh, so, so what are you, how are you using your, or how are you able to use your title now with the California conference or the Pacific conference to, to, to spearhead this progress? Well, so it's early days yet. I've only been in the role a month, so I'm still really getting my feet under the table and I have to understand the systems are in place in order to change them, right? Sure, sure. Um, but what I'm doing right now is um, I did before, just before I took on this role, a series of conversations across the conference asking people, do they know what Connectional Ministries is or what it does? And nobody had any idea. So that clearly they need to know. So I'm doing things like going to these camps where the kids are because they're our future and we need to teach them and be with them. And I'm, t I'm telling, I did an exercise on justice and compassion so they knew what the difference was between the two and why we need them both. Um, it involved a lot of candy, but it worked. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I told them about, you know, the different things we were doing and, and they had no idea the churches aren't telling them so I told them all about that and then I went into the well and by the way I'm queer so you know don't believe these messages that you're being you're hearing and and I had some great conversations oh my gosh some great conversations from kids that are growing up in more conservative homes and more conservative United Methodist churches who really wanted to dig deep and have that conversation because they've never had somebody to have that conversation with before. Yeah. And what people so, don't know also is that, I mean, when we say Pacific Conference, your immediate thought is, oh, that's the liberal Methodists. But outside right. of LA, I mean, San Diego even is pretty conservative, even though it's a huge town. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you get up to Bakersfield area, which is the cap for this conference. Right. That is, I can go there and feel right at home. Like I just went back into Alabama. I mean, it uh, is yeah. this conservative Trump supporting country. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to me. So my new location is certainly more conservative um, area than Hollywood. Uh -huh. Church asked for a more progressive pastor. They certainly got one. Um, <laughs> there's been a lady who's been a couple of times visiting. She came my first Sunday and, and one of the others. And as she left, she said to me, it's so great to have such a progressive voice in this area because there hasn't been one. And I said to her, oh, really? And she said, yeah, she said, I'll be coming back. She said, my church has put out a call for a new pastor. And so while we're waiting, 
um, for that to happen, she said, I'll, I'll be visiting with you. So I said, oh, that's great. What church do you go to? She's a UCC church member. And she said, my voice was more progressive than theirs. That's fascinating. Yeah. So I'm in a very, very traditional area. Yeah. We'll see how that plays out for me. But um, so far, the church is happy with everything I've said, but we'll see, you know. It's- well, they're lucky to have you. I, you, I, I miss, and again, like, I cannot reiterate my agnosticism enough, but I miss going to Hollywood United Methodist Church so bad because of the community that right. y'all cultivated. Right. Um, I mean, I, I would just sometimes sit in the audience and probably not even listen to the message, but just look around at the dif- diversity and the queer families and just think like, if I had this growing up, I, it, would, I, it would have changed everything, everything. Totally, totally. And you can't really describe it. So before I even knew I was gonna be appointed there, I um, had always wanted to go there. And so Deborah and I went down there one Sunday and we said- Deborah's your wife. Deborah's my wife, yes. Um, my Jewish wife, I should say. I was going to say, right? let's get, we're going to get into that next. Yeah. <laughs> let's be important about that. But she is so supportive. And we went together to this church and we sat down. And I have never experienced that feeling of, I belong here. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I, I can't tangibly tell you what it was. Reverend Kathy says it's the, um, it's the stained glass windows because each one has a man and a woman in it. And that's really unusual. I, I, but it's not. There's something much more than that. It was just... Nobody went, I mean, people were nice, people were friendly, nobody went over their way, but I just felt I belong here. And I yeah. said to Deborah at the time, I'm going to ask Kathy if I can do my internship here. And yeah. The rest is history. But yeah, it's, it's, it, and wouldn't it be great if all of our places did that for everybody? Because Hollywood doesn't even do it for everybody. Right? No, I know. I know that there are people that aren't queer necessarily, but are from a different culture who do not feel the same as I do about that community. Yeah. You know, Hollywood still has work to do. Um, but how do we do that? How do we create that? That's my goal. It's just come- well, I think it's conversations like this. It's being honest right. about how, how have, because it's not how has God made you feel? It's how has God's followers made you feel? And if we talk about those experiences and make sure people understand what their words are doing mm-hmm. and or what their lack of words are not doing, then... I think that's how we're, that's how we do it. Yeah. And you're, I mean, you are such, such a big part of that, Denise. Like I can't tell you, I mean, and in all honesty, because my career has found such a, a niche in the conversation between faith faith and sexuality, Mm. you are a huge part of exactly where I am in my life today, not spiritually speaking, but professionally speaking. I mean, this podcast is a lot to do with your impact on me that Easter service years ago. So, um, I, I mean, not to like say, think about me when you're feeling down, but you know, you, I mean, you're, I, I see it. I see your impact in me and I see it in countless others all over Hollywood, especially. So thank you. Um, you're you're very welcome because that's, that's my goal, right? That's what I, and, and my, my only request of you is that when you see those things you don't want to see, yeah, because you need to be that person for those people too. Okay. You know, that actually just hit pretty hard because earlier I was saying the places I see God are the places where I see the devil. And in that, the challenge for me could be in the places I'm not seeing God be the God that somebody else needs to see. Exactly. Oh, fuck. That's heavy, Denise. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) It's a huge ass. It's a huge ass. Well, Well, and I, I, my parents know that when I was 
I think eight years old. It was right after I got, you know, saved in the Baptist church. Mm-hmm. I, I professed that I was called to ministry. And I don't think being an actor and filmmaker is all that different from being a minister because you're still telling a story or a message in hopes of impacting someone's train of thought, um, right. hopefully for the better. Um, but I, I think that the, it's laughable now because even if I decide that I, I don't believe in a divine, what I'm doing is a conversation commenting on the divine. So I'm basically a pastor. Let's just put it out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so how did, how did you and Deborah meet? Uh, we actually, we met on match.com. Oh, so that does work. I'm going to download it right now. Um, <laughs> fantastic. I just spent, I, I'm on every dating app, like the paid gold extra accounts because we ain't getting any younger and I don't know how long right. this uterus is going to last. So uh, <laughs> got to get on it. Um, but so, but when you met her and, and discovered she was Jewish, did that, did that make you think like, oh, I don't know if I can be this visible in my religion and my faith community and tie myself to someone of a different faith community? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, in fact, the opposite. So she reached out to me um, and I was at Claremont studying for my master's in divinity at the time. And she asked me what I was studying and we started talking and we talked for probably eight, six to eight weeks before we even met. Wow. Um, and we met and we hit it off and we got along and um, she is so supportive. We worship, we worship, we love the same God. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's exactly the same God. She just got home. So she might. Oh, I saw a dog jump behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we disagree on who Jesus is or was and what that means to us. But the tenet of our faith is the same. Mm-hmm. It's a lived theology. Yeah. Um, and and we, we found that out pretty early on. And she has been incredibly supportive of me. On, I mean, she has read every paper I've written. And when you become a United Methodist pastor, boy, do you write a lot of papers. Hmm. She's written every single one of them and grammar checked it and Americanized it. And, um, you know, and, and we've had deep theological conversations about what I'm writing about. And she still will. I'm not now I'm preaching every week because I'm so pastor. I'm not having a read every single sermon. Right. <laughs> she tunes in every Sunday morning and listens and offers critique. And yeah, she's just, she's amazing. She's amazing. I love that. Um, I go to some temples with her. I mean, it's harder because we've been online so much, but right. I sit and watch services with her. She, um, we're going to do some Jewish stuff at, at my new church. We're going to, you know, start introducing those traditions because our church is based on those traditions, right? You're correct. Calendar follows the rhythm of theirs. So let's, You're correct. Find, let's dig deeper and find out how and why. Yeah. And what I'm doing, um, I, I assume that you probably celebrate both Christian and Jewish traditions around the holidays uh-huh. uh, because of your marriage. And I, I'm going to my first Jewish services. I mean, I've been to like bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and stuff, but um, mm. my best friend, Daniel, his mom uh, got me tickets to the the Pico Union Temple for uh, Erev Rosh Hashanah and then also Kol Nidre. Um, yeah. So I'm going to do both of those and I'm so excited because I just, oh, awesome. um, one of the things I think I love about the Jewish faith is that you're allowed to just yell and, and challenge God. Like the questions right. are innate in their religious pursuit. Yeah. Um, so being a Christian, this, I mean, maybe this is a difficult question and I feel like it's, it's a very sensitive question. So I apologize beforehand, but like being a Christian, one of the things I, we were taught growing up was um, the uh, unconditional love that 
also comes with contingency, with condition. And if you don't uh, buy into that love, you are destined to go to hell. And hell is a big driving force in the Christian church, especially here in the States. So how, what is the Methodist's view or the UMC's view um, on, on, on damnation or, or on hell? Depends which Methodist you talk to, really, I think is the yeah. that. Um, for me personally, I don't believe that a God who loves so much mm -hmm. creates out of love that created this amazing place we live is a God that creates hell and damnation. Yeah. Because our God is a God of forgiveness. So we are forgiven. Yeah. And time and time and time again. And we know all of that. We right? just got an amen from the dog. You did, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I really struggle with that concept of, of a hell or of a God that would send me to hell because I, um, I did something wrong. Let's, I mean, I'm not going to be specific. But a God that would send me to hell because I did something wrong that couldn't forgive me, right? I just, I don't believe that, that that's, the, that's not the God I believe in, right? Yeah. I don't believe a divine being who, who is love. I mean, that's the definition of love for me would would then create this place of torture yeah. um, and damnation for the rest of eternity just because especially when we're given free will right right if we didn't have free will i would say okay maybe it exists right but because god has this plan and i'm not doing the plan and i'm deliberately going away from the plan but we have free will we have that that chance to choose and in, in every single moment God is luring us towards being the best possible version of ourselves that we can be in every single moment. And if we miss a moment, God doesn't say, oh, that's it. I'm giving up with you. You know, you're done. You're going to hell. I'm not going to be part of your life anymore. No, God just says, okay, reset. Let's do the next moment. And what are we mm -hmm. going to do here? And let's lure you towards that best possible version of yourself in every single thing. that. Yeah. The key is listening to what God is calling us to do well don't really don't tell that to the calvinists to the right. to their, well, no. I, and i i was i would say it was more than a brief spell but in high school when i was pursuing so in high school i was actually coming out to california and going to a pastor's conference up in santa clarita at grace community church led by john oh, MacArthur. Okay. do you know him mm -hmm. i know of him yeah yeah you're in, you ain't missing much um yeah. he's anti-feminist he's anti-social justice um he i i find that the what I, I mean, there's so, so much about American religion that is on the defense. And that's why I think I, I have such a hatred for them because it's anti everything as opposed to being for something, they're against something. And that's just not appealing to me. But John MacArthur is one of those. Um, I have, I feel like he is actually just an abuser at the pulpit because of how he spews hate from and uses Jesus as a scapegoat. Um, you know, I make a joke about if, if Jesus knew what was going on in his name, he'd be rolling over in his grave. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm -hmm. according to Christian tradition, he ain't in the grave. Uh, right, he rolled over and got up. <laughs> um, but I forget, oh, so I was coming out to that conference every year, um, training to become a pastor. And I think it was also just my own attempt to, because I knew I was gay, to, if I can do this, this much more and put that much more effort into it, then maybe God will heal me of being afflicted with this, you know, awful situation of, of pre preferring men over women. Right. Right. Do you think that God inflicted that on you then? 
Uh, well, now I think God gave it to me as a big old blessing because I love right? being gay. Um, <laughs> I've, there's been one instance where I performed non-gayness um, and it was an instance that I will never return to. Uh, right. <laughs> so I'm not a gold star gay, unfortunately. Um, but no, I think uh, there's, you know, p- part of my own spiritual journey is that if I believe in God and I believe that God created me, that I do believe that I'm created exactly as I am intended, flaws and all. And not that I think homosexuality is a flaw, but I think there's also a chance for worship in the flaws because it shows you a chance from where you can go and and to where where you can grow towards. And so, but where I'm, I, I see that there could be a chance for worship even in being assigned gay in your genes or however it's decided because like that's part of creation. And it just makes me so mad that people who purport to be pro-life and pro-creation can still be, blame the creation. Right. It, and it's right. just like, are you listening to yourself? Yeah. Nothing about what you're saying in your Christ-like views is Christ-like. Yeah. I mean, even like, yeah. you know, I, I was, I was I'm, I'm very fortunate to have parents who are, are quite evolved and intelligent um, and constantly growing and searching within their own Christian faith. And, you know, I was telling my, my mom's a nurse and she was basically, we were just bitching back and forth about Alabama right now has the lowest vaccination rate in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we all know the reason why, but... You know, I said the people that are against this vaccine and refuse to get it often are in church every single Sunday, even Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And what I don't understand is that if they view God to be as as uh, divine as they say, how can you not appreciate and worship through science and the belief in such? Because to me, if you're able to praise God, you're able to praise God for creating a scientist who's a lot smarter than you are to help with a situation that's hit the world unexpectedly. Right. right. I mean, and even the yeah. idea of being pro-life, you know, they, they have this word that's pro-life, which is exactly not pro-life. It's mm-hmm. pro, it's, it's pro-forced birth, but pro-life would be voting for, equal education, for higher education to be free, for social justice, for racial equity, that's pro-life. Expanding life. Yeah, exactly, in whatever forms it is. But yeah, I mean, how many of those babies that did they save that turned out to be LGBT that were then condemned by them? Thank you. Um, but but also this, you see, that's the whole point. Is It's not about the issue that they're fighting about. It's about control. Yep. Right. So they can be pro-life because that keeps their control over women. Yep. Right. And that's what it's about. And that's why they're fighting it. And I don't know that the 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 lower downs even understand that. Right. Because those are the lines they're fed. It's the higher ups. It's these rich mega church pastors mm-hmm. who are making a fortune from these messages that are perpetuating that because it keeps everybody exactly where they want them. Yep. Not so d- down with it, down with the patriarchy, uh, and, but but also thankfully the receipts are coming out. You know, the, I mean Jerry Falwell Jr. last year, and and I do like wonder if there's some mental health issues there. So I don't want to like criticize too much, but like I'm so thankful that his actual authentic lifestyle is coming out in mm-hmm. I mean in every medium. Uh, right. You know, I think it's actually harming the Christian faith more than it's doing anything uh, otherwise. But I'm so thankful that these, because I um, I had a guy on my show the, a few episodes ago, and he was correcting me when I was saying the religious right, he was calling them the religious loud. 
And I thought, oh, that's, that's, I, I can live with that verbiage because I hate how, and I forget if it was Nixon or Reagan basically adopted religion or Christianity into their, the conservative fold and, you know, came up with this idea of the religious right. And even that connotation of right suggests that yeah. they're not wrong. And it suggests that those who are not on that side are wrong, those on the left. Um, they're brilliant. I mean, like, it's like you said, they, 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 in order to keep power, they have to keep spewing this shit because uh, right. otherwise they're going to lose it. But fortunately, exactly. those folks are dying out. Um, and fortunately, voices like yours are being elevated um, and, and heard. And that is how I think you are going to do it. That's how you're going to save religion. And that's, again, why I say I think queer voices are the ones that are going to save it. Because also, yeah. queer voices are, to, even to the straight community of, of, of former church attenders who hate church because of how it's treating their friends, even if they're not gay or black or Asian or, or some mm -hmm. other thing aside from white heterosexual man, they're more inclined to attend a church where there's a gay person speaking on behalf of, of, of everybody and not just a select few. Right, right. So I hope, exactly. I, I'm so thankful for your calling and for your heart. Um, one of the questions I like, I've started to end with, and I already prepped you with this because this is a doozy, but if the divine, if what you see as God, which is the Christian God, is standing before you, what's the one thing you would say to them? Um, I think the one thing I would ask is for me personally, am I doing it right now? Right? Like, did I figure it out right? So, hmm. um, you know, did I figure out that the church and the institution that that has become is not about who God, who you are, God? And, and, and is what I believe is that you always want me to be the best I can and that you are luring me and helping me. And, and thank you for making Sorry. You can, you can take the bread out of it. You can take the tea out of the, wait, what's, hang on. Yes. Let me, you can take the bread out of England, but you can't take the tea away from the bread. No, That's what you guys not. didn't see is that Deborah just delivered some, what looked to be like some English tea. It is about time for the, for tea hour, isn't it? It is. We're getting there. We're getting there. Tea time. Um, yeah. So to finish that thought, did I, am I now on the right track? Right. So I've put away everything I was taught because I don't believe that 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 is it so now I'm on this track is this the right way like is this what you planned and this you know mm -hmm. am I going in the right direction I think that's what I would ask okay what would so if I took the opportunity to ask a question away from you what would you say what would you report mm. um I think thanks for the dolphin thank oh I just got chills. <laughs> Thanks for the dolphin, because that was that was your God moment. Right. That was my God moment. So I think, yeah, I mean, if it hadn't been for the dolphin, I may well have just gone back to England and yeah. my miserable little existence without coming out, without loving God, without having all of that in my life, because, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, what would you say to, I always say young queer people, because I think that's where my concern is, because I, mm -hmm. there's just, if those, those young people don't often have a, a choice to be in church or not be in church, but what would you say to a young queer person who is struggling with their identity in the confines of faith? And then what would you say to a person of faith who is struggling to accept a larger expansive God than what they have been taught about? Oh, those are great big questions. Um, I think I think the answer to both of those is it's about storytelling. It's right? about what? It's about storytelling. Mm. So it's about knowing who each other is. So um, 
to, to a young queer person who's struggling with the church, I tell them my story because they need to know my journey, right? And, and, and hopefully they won't take as long to, to do that journey as I did. But to know that there's hope, to know that they are loved, they are created as a beloved child of God, that they should read Psalm 139 whenever they're worried and, and someone tells them that they're not, um, and to not give up, right? I think those are the things for the, for the young people. Um, and for someone, and the other thing I say to young people is this, when you decide to invite other people into your story, right? Because I hate coming out mm -hmm. because coming out is I'm going to give more of myself to you because I haven't already been doing that all this time. So I'm going to invite you into my story. So when you do that, young person, when you decide to invite your parents in, remember this, you have struggled with this for a long time yourself. You are just now hitting your parents with this. Give them some time. Yep. Right. So I think that for them and for someone who was struggling with that, whether they're a parent or just someone who is struggling with it is, is tell them the stories, right? Tell them my story, have them meet other people. If, if we knew people, we knew people's stories. It's really hard to hate somebody whose story, you know, Yep. really hard. Um, especially when you've looked them in the eyes, you've shared a cup of tea and you've, you know, you've done th that, that diligence and that getting to know you. When you have a relationship with someone, it's hard to hate them. Hmm. Um, and I think that's the way forward for all of us, right? We need to be doing more storytelling, more sharing of ideas, of stories, of who we are, of our identity, of what makes us tick, of how we responded and why we respond. Once you know that, you can't hate them. And it does change people's minds, definitely. Truth equates to empathy. Yeah. Always. You're so correct. Yeah. Wow. Um, Denise, thank you so much for today and telling your story. And uh, I, I'm so excited to see what you do with your new congregation, but also what you're doing with your new title. I, I, I feel like if there's a chance for the UMC to stay whole, you're going to be a massive part of that. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm just so thankful that you uh, were able to spend a, an hour and a bit of your time today. Tell Deborah, thank you for letting me take you away for a bit. <laughs> and the dogs, I know that they probably the are more demanding of your time than Deborah is. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's so good to see your face and hear your voice. I truly miss you so much. And I'm going to miss oh. seeing you at Hollywood, too, whenever uh, we go back in person. Uh, but I will definitely uh, make the, the schlep out to, uh, to Montrose to come see your new congregation as well. Now, so you could come now and you won't even be visiting Hollywood because Hollywood's not in person. Oh, that's right. So y'all are actually in yeah, person again. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll be there at some come point visit. then for sure. Yeah, I will. All right. Thank you again. And uh, I will see you later. Okay. Yeah. Lots of love. Thanks, Matt. Bye. The Fagnostic Podcast is a Matt Hayes production. Hosted by, you guessed it, Matt Hayes. You can find me at matthayes.com. That's M-A-T-H-A-Y-E-S.com. Or on all the socials at Hayes on it. H-A-Y-E-S on it. Music by Michael Spicer. The Fagnostic Podcast is proud to be supported by the Del Shore Studio. Whether you're acting from a pulpit or a proscenium, whether you're writing for a Bible study or a scene study, the Del Shore Studio is an online school offering classes and workshops encouraging all artists to scratch deeper. Visit thedelshorestudio.com for more information.